0: so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech, Or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray together. Father, as uh, we open up your word this morning and have the opportunity to be able to see what was written to the churches at Corinth, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and open um, our ears to hear that what you have to say is still important and relevant today. In fact, the, the central gospel message is here today. And God, I ask that uh, my words would not get in the way this morning, but that it would be the power of your Holy Spirit that speaks into our lives as we gather around your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, the the first thing that I want to do, actually, is just kind of take some time to recap a little bit of um, the, previous, um, the previous passage that um, we've looked at, and that was in uh, the book of, uh, or in the first chapter there. And I want to kind of connect things here for us a little bit. And so in chapter one, um, as you look at it, you'd see that actually what happens is that Paul begins with a salutation. Um, And he reminds the Corinthians of his authority as an apostle. Um, And one of the things that he's doing by by this is that um, he's speaking of the fact that his authority as an apostle is not of his own will, but rather that this was by the will of God. And this idea about the will of God is something that reoccurs throughout this first chapter And it comes back again in the second chapter as we can see here. And in fact, as we know that throughout time, we talk about the will of God. And in particular though, his authority here is established and he says, by the will of God. And so after establishing his authority in verses one to three, what Paul does is he offers a prayer of thanksgiving for their salvation in verses four through nine. And then Paul launches right into the problem. The problem of the church in Corinth is listed here. And the Corinthian Christians, the problem that they have had, is really kind of centered on the fact that they have become prideful and created factions and divisions. And there's this divisiveness that is now present within the church. They have... um, have gotten so deep into this that they have forgotten the gospel in their quest for human relevance and seeking human praise. And, and sometimes I think it's hard for us to kind of see when we begin to kind of go down that slope that is a little slippery at times. And before we know it, Um, In our quest for relevance, in our quest for uh, maybe trying to receive some human praise for things that we're doing well, our eyes kind of get off the mark of really what the gospel is. And, And sometimes also I think that it's easy for us to probably do what they did, and that is, you know, it's not that they were so much against the gospel here, but really what they instead tried to do was to spiritualize themselves. And they began movements that led to boastful statements like this We follow Paul, or Apollos, or I follow Cephas. And of course, the most spiritual people, of course, would have said, We follow Christ, right? And, um, you know, this is something that, that we still could see today, right? I mean, people still have those that they want to follow, and they try to spiritualize themselves this way. And, but in the church in Corinth, there, it was happening. And the problem that Paul addresses in this letter, they all have to do with their pride and a desire to be like the culture around them. And this is called carnality or or worldly living. In chapter 7 of verse 17, Paul admonishes them with the statement regarding this worldliness that they had. He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him this is my rule in all the churches. It's pretty simple, it seems like. His one simple rule is lead the life that the Lord has assigned to you. Don't try to become something else, just keep it real simple. This attempt though, to become something greater than what God had assigned to each one, was now becoming the show. And the message of the gospel was becoming less and less relevant. In verse 17 of chapter 1, Paul announces that uh, he did nothing but preach the gospel when he was there with them. For Christ, he says, did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And friends, that is a strong statement. Because not even the sacraments are central here. Only the gospel. The only thing that concerned Paul was to communicate the gospel... And as Paul put it, he said, "'Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power.'" And he wanted to guard against the fact that it is the cross of Christ that is the power that leads unto salvation. You know, sometimes I think about this and I go, wow, you know, that's kind of a scary thought to think that Paul warns us that our eloquent wisdom, or to put it in a more modern vernacular, our desire maybe to downplay sin and the gospel message of the cross, that it will empty out the power of the cross. The result is that people will hear a different voice, but it will not be the voice of God when we do that. In verses 18 through 25, Paul fleshes out how the message of the cross sounds to the one who is wise, to the scribe, to the debater or the rhetorician of the age in which they lived. And of course, to these educated and learned people, the message of the cross was just foolishness to them. In other words, why would the most educated and learned people be so blind and unable to ascertain that the message of the cross is truly their salvation? I was reading through this and I was thinking, you know, this is is a hard thing to accept. But the gospel message, people are blind to it. They cannot see it. They cannot understand it. And here, the most educated people were unable to ascertain that the message of the cross was truly their salvation. And the reason for this is because of the fact that God hates prideful sin. And man tries to make himself acceptable in God's eyes by lifting himself up. So when man is trying to lift himself up to a position to where God would take notice of him, God says, you know what? That's that's not the way I'm gonna accept you. I have a different method. Something that you can do nothing to get yourself there. And so... The message is simple and clear, but it's hard to accept that we don't have anything to do with how God does this, his salvation for us. The passage goes on to tell us that the Jews in particular were demanding a sign from God. They wanted a Messiah that would upend the Romans and make them kings, and of course we know how all that went. Um, it tells us in the Bible that Jesus came unto his own, and they knew him not. So he, he sent his son, they didn't know him. The book of John 21, 25 says, it's not because of the lack of evidence. And as we've been going through the book of Mark, we can see that clearly because John 21, 25 says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did, that's referring to the miracles and signs, and were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. It's not like people didn't know about who Jesus was, but they could not accept it. All the evidence was before the Jews. But God's plan was not their plan, was it? The Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles only cared about their own wisdom, and they were centered mostly on their own glorification or their deification. And the culture in which they lived, of course, uh, these, these men and, and women were living in a society in which they wanted to be seen and noticed. Uh, we know that idolatry was present. And that um, by this time, leaders oftentimes were, you know, standing before people deified. I'm, I'm a god. Well, in both instances... Neither Jews nor Gentiles could legitimately then understand the message of the cross because it was antithetical to their own prideful pursuits in life. There's no connection here. And that's what this first chapter has been showing. And so God's, what they would call his stupid little plan to save people from hell, is completely ignored. The cross was reserved for fools, not for kings. The ignorant and the criminals were given the punishment of the cross. But God, in his wisdom, he chose the cross to be the instrument that would be the altar on which Christ, his own son, would pay for our sins. And why would any one of us believe it? Just consider that for a moment. In your own wisdom... Why would any one of us believe it? I I find it kind of interesting that as we watch movies sometimes and and we're looking at the hero, we never want the hero to die, do we? And I would tell you this, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Of course, in our make-believe stories... We might make it so that our heroes come back to life. Right? In this case, we know that he came back to life. The question is, would you believe it? That's a hard thing to believe, isn't it? In verse 26, Paul says, "'For consider your calling, brothers.'" It is overwhelming to consider your calling from God. Now, I just want you to think about this for a moment. Consider your calling. As a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I want you to take a moment to just think what your calling was like when you heard the voice of God speak to convict you of where you were at that moment of the sin in your life. I think it's pretty overwhelming to consider that calling. This morning, we sang several songs that probably gave you the opportunity to reflect on this message, the message of Christ crucified on a cross for me. And the truth of the matter is that I was not deserving of this salvation. And and I got to tell you, uh, Peter, thank you so much for the song selection this morning, because as I used that as a time to reflect on these things, I had to tell you, it just overwhelmed me to think about the fact that our Savior was pierced for my transgressions, that his blood was poured out for my sins, that he is our king, And yet, because of my sin, he was crucified. Furthermore, Paul tells the Corinthians, look, you weren't even considered smart according to worldly standards. You weren't powerful according to the positions you hold in this world, and you weren't rich. And according to the values of this world, I can tell you this, if I'm going to pick someone to receive a special gift from me, there are probably some special considerations I would have. And I'm pretty sure that they're not the way God thinks about things. Because if I was supposed, if I was going to give a special gift to someone, I probably would want to make sure that in some way, that that person has some way in which to repay me. That in some way that I would be recognized for it, that also I I would want to make sure that, you know, for selfish reasons, that, you know, as I give this reward to them, that I would want them to kind of see me as, you know, hey, you know what, you and I are really good friends and we're you know, you're worthy of me. You've kind of reached up towards me in that sense. And so I probably would not pick someone that I would think, you know what, this person probably has no regard for me at all. I would want to find somebody who is sort of worthy of me in that sense. And yet, that's not the way God does it, is it? Three times in verses 27 through 28, it tells us that God chose to confound the wise, the rich, and the powerful. The same people that I would want to pick. I had to have them all on my side. And God says, you know what? I'm going to confound them with my plan for salvation. And why? Why? so that no human being can boast in the presence of God. It is because God alone deserves all the glory. And when I think about this, that he is going to save people with a simple plan of salvation that is unbelievable in one sense and just kind of does not seem to make sense in human terms. And I think to myself, yeah, (laughs) only he could think of something like this. Because my prideful sin would never allow me to think that way. At least not until he opened my eyes. Not until he saved me. I think sometimes of the fact that, you know, boasting is what we're pretty good at as human beings. You know, even if we don't ever publicly boast out loud, and and there's plenty of that going on, right? There is still the fact that many of us pride ourselves quietly... Even in our own humility before others. Sometimes we, we pride ourselves on maybe the fact that we're a little bit different or awkward and that maybe nobody really kind of understands me, kind of a, a self pity. That can happen sometimes. So I wanted to be clear this morning, though, that God will not share any of His glory and that He alone deserves all the glory for having saved us. Now, from there, I want to uh, go into uh, really what our proposition is this morning as we've kind of taken in these, uh, this first chapter and, and reviewed it. And uh, our proposition this morning that we want to go through is that the proclamation of Jesus Christ crucified and the power of God is all that is needed to produce faith, and to sustain us humbly in service to Christ Jesus. On the heels of having seen that that the Corinthians, just like us, there's nothing that we have done to be able to deserve salvation from God. And what God did was that he used his own son as a way in which to reconcile us to himself. And so this message of Jesus Christ crucified and the power of God is all that is needed to produce faith the final two verses of chapter one start with this phrase because of him that is God you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so as we move into chapter two Paul shifts from God's plan for salvation to how He brought the message of the gospel to the Corinthians. How is the message being delivered? And there are three things that Paul points out in these first five verses that will take us right back into chapter one and that remind us, these things remind us of God's plan of salvation that it does not need a boost from any one of us. No boost is needed. So uh, let me start by. Talking about verse one, which really is uh, we're going to take a look at is the contrast of the gospel here. And the contrast of the gospel here is that we see the gospel message that it is unlike any other message or argument that is presented. It is unlike any other one. We've already established that. Paul was not sent to find a way to tweak the gospel message so that he could make disciples for himself. Paul was perfectly capable, by the way, we know that, of using eloquent words and being verbose enough to have a following, like many teachers did in those days. It was not uncommon to see people uh, in, in the Roman world sitting together around their teacher, their master, and learning. And of course, this was a common thing throughout the empire, and so, this is not what Paul was looking for, he was not looking for his own personal disciples. He stayed away from that. And as was already mentioned in chapter one, he was sent to preach the gospel by Christ. This is not to say that he did not use sensibility, but rather that he came as a herald. And one of the things that I think is important for us to understand is that you know he didn't come to debate in the open courts, that's not what he was doing when he arrived in Corinth. There were times and places where, uh, you know, people would get together and bring their ideas and want to talk about them openly. And, And Paul, no, that's not where he was headed. Instead, he came to proclaim the good news through the cross of Christ Jesus. The gospel did not have a winning point for the leisurely upper class and the cool, smart people, or for people aspiring to enter into those positions in life. And Paul did not change the message for them. The gospel doesn't change, and we should not change it. The good news is that Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross for our sins, and we can be made right before God. We can be kept pure. And holy because we were bought back by the bloody sacrifice of Jesus. So, what is this testimony of God that it talks about in this first verse? And as we take a look at uh, what that is, I want you to kind of think about this from what I was saying earlier. It says, and because of him, that is God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The testimony, it is the plan of God revealed to man. And that is what Paul was sent to share. Some translations use this phrase. They call it the mystery of God or the secret plan of God. Think about that for a moment. The secret plan of God. Why is it called that? Why is it the mystery? It's because it's not easily deciphered, is it? It's not easy, it's not easily understood. It is called this because it is unknown to men and it is revealed by the one who is called to be a messenger. And Paul was called to be the herald, the messenger of this gospel and to preach Christ. The difference between his message and the messages of others, is that he's just the herald. He's making the proclamation. He needs no attention, none at all. There is nothing that is supposed to go back to him as, you know, oh, Paul, thank you, you are like a savior. No, he didn't want that. When Paul arrived to preach the gospel to the Corinthians, he preached the saving gospel, but the Corinthians were used to listening to great rhetoricians that could persuade with words of eloquent wisdom, as it says in verse 17 of chapter 1, or lofty speech or wisdom in this first verse of chapter 2, and plausible words of wisdom, as it says in verse 4. These were the arts of classical Rhetoric the basis of education and credibility in Paul's day and in many respects. We face a very similar situation today Our world is filled with speakers who offer all types of solutions for any particular problem Been on the internet lately I Mean it's just like wow just google it right you can find answers for just about anything there. I'd like to read to you a quote from uh, Ray Ortland as he was speaking to a group of pastors about the same thing. And he said, We see it today in advertising, in political spin, in manipulative legal arguments, in TV talk shows, when nothing newsworthy has happened, but they still fill up an hour with words. By the way, my wife says, that's the same thing when you're watching the post-game show on ESPN. or In TV talk shows when nothing happens, uh, let's see here, but they fill up an hour with words in the brilliant monologues of late-night comedians, in pop music groups with closely choreographed steps, and absolutely nothing to say, but saying it in a way that keeps us watching. Isn't that the truth? Rhetoric is the professionalization of communication, and it works, but there is a problem. It's all about self-display for self-glorification, and that's where Paul draws the line. He was a gifted, articulate, careful, passionate, Learned, fascinating man. But he knew the difference between preaching Christ and showing off. He knew the difference between winning disciples to Christ and attracting a following to himself. He knew the difference between getting the gospel out and branding his own recognizable way of saying it. He knew the difference between the spirit and the flesh. And this is what Paul is getting at here is he's saying, You know what? Let's not live in a fleshly way here, in a worldly way. According to the Spirit is the way in which I lived when I was with you. Well, from there I want to go into um, the decision for the gospel in verse two. In verse two, Paul states, You know, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Those words declaring that I decided to I decided refer to the fact that regardless of how things turned out, he was going to do what he was called to do. He was not going to be molded by the expectations of the world or treat this like some marketing or retail experience that caters for customers so that the gospel message would be heralded just the way God intended it to be given instead. That's what he wanted. It would not be a watered-down version of the cross, but rather it would be a biblical message of the cross communicated by a crucified preacher. I think about this from Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I was thinking, wow, I mean, this is how he refers to himself, so that when he would come to share the gospel message, it would not be about Paul. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul had a reverence for Jesus. He had a reverence for what Jesus had done for him. So he did what Jesus told him to do. As you see in verse 17 of chapter one, Jesus told him to preach about the cross. Friends, let me ask you this. What is your relationship with Jesus like today? Is he still your sacred savior that you worship daily? I know that life gets busy. And sometimes Jesus just is in the background in our Christian music. It happens. But will you decide to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified? I know what changes things for us when we live with this reverence for Christ. I love to hear the testimony of people who are recently saved by Jesus and how overwhelmed they are by what Jesus has done for them. Because, you know, it's easy to forget that day when you first believed. that day that you first believed that Jesus died on the cross for you and how you promised to live for Jesus. And I want to urge you to commit to being reverent before Jesus as you live life, as you live life with your family, as you live life with your neighbors, as you live life with your classmates if you're in school, with your coworkers and with complete strangers. Yeah, the strangers on the road, the strangers that you are standing in line with at the store, the strangers in the mall parking lot, do you still have a reverence for Jesus? It's challenging to live life that way but the gospel message needs to get out. Paul decided to know nothing among the Corinthians, these complete strangers, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, as we move into the last few verses here, I want to um, spend a little time just kind of talking about what Paul was relying on here. And that was the demonstration of God's power. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Sometimes we are uh, in that place where we've made a commitment to do something in ministry and we're just like Paul. We are with people in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Um, people have had various things to say about this, such as the fact that maybe Paul was, was timid and afraid as he went in there, like afraid of the Corinthians. Um, he had been through worse. (laughs) And we know this, that Paul was left for dead on many occasions. Instead, I would contend to you this, that I think that as Paul went in to see these people, and it says that he he had this this, uh, weakness and this fear and trembling, that I think it's much like what we face when we jump into ministry. It's not just the fact that we're afraid of, of what uh, people might think about us. I think sometimes it is also just the way that, uh, I'll tell you that it was for me a little bit this week, thinking about coming and standing before you and opening the word of God. And that is, God, I, I want to deliver the right message. These are your people. And you've given me charged to be able to speak with them and to shepherd them as well. And there's a, there's a sense also here that um, I want the power of God to work. I don't want it to be about me. I, I'll, I'll let you down, obviously, at some point here. Just personally speaking, I mean, you know, you talk to my wife, she'll tell you, I'm not 100% the guy that you see up here. So, as I come before you to speak, and just as maybe God might call you to do something that might stretch you a bit, you definitely want it to be that God use me. There are going to be times that maybe you're going to feel like as you're talking with people that your words are not sufficient. But if you allow for God to be able to work through that, there are going to be some amazing things that happens. The power of God is demonstrated through our weakness, our fears, our trepidations, through our words that don't seem to make sense to people. This gospel message, how would it make sense? Paul was taking this message to them and he says, I was bringing you a message that really you should not have even understood. You should have been looking, in essence, you were looking, to try to be like one of those people that were powerful in position, that were wealthy, that were educated, learned. You wanted to be in that group. And yet, the gospel reached you. And all I did was preach Christ. This is the power of God that is at work. He's telling the Corinthians that the testimony of God that he was sent to deliver as a messenger was able to bear fruit. He relied on the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual life to the Corinthians. The testimony of God is powerful that way. I'm reminded of some verses here that um, Paul has given to us. In fact, um, in Romans 10:14, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Let me tell you something. If God is calling you to be able to share the gospel with someone, it is pretty simple. It really is. It it's, doesn't require a lot of fancy talk. As I shared with you, Jesus Christ died for my sins and your sins. You must be willing to confess that you are a sinner and that Jesus Christ has paid that price. He's the Redeemer. He has bought us back at a price. But there must be a messenger that takes that message. It's not not hard to take that message. It is hard sometimes for us to just realize that, you know what, as simple as it is, God will do the rest. You don't need to change it. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul shared with them that he said, you know, there's this thing that has been bothering me. He called it the thorn in his flesh. And you may recall that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as he is explaining to them about this thorn that is in his flesh, he asked God three times to take it away from him. It was, in one sense, hindering him from the things that he felt God wanted him to do. Just like you might feel at times that maybe... There are certain hindrances that you have, and why you are unable then to communicate the gospel. Or, in, in that matter, for that matter, even maybe just for living out the gospel. Verses 9 through 11 of chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. In weakness, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, For when I am weak, then I am strong. We are so blessed in this congregation to have people who are living this way. I know that there are many of you in here who are living through some of the difficulties of life. We pray for you our heart cries out to God for you. Because we want you to embrace the fact that while you are weak, he will perfect things in your life. He will make you strong to be able to endure. There are several people in my life that uh, I look up to and when I hear about how they are doing physically, about maybe even the persecutions that they face, and yet through it all, they'll say, it's not about me, it's about what God wants to do. It encourages me to look to God, look to Christ, the perfecter of our faith, and allow him to be Strong. Here's Paul's final statement regarding the, the final results, you might say. He did not want the Corinthians to become followers of men. But followers of Jesus, to see the power of God that is at work in them. The Corinthians had become followers of men. They were aligning themselves to men who were teachers of the gospel. Good men, right? Jesus especially. But these men were not present with them physically, Peter, Apollos, and Cephas, nor were they even aware of what was going on until Chloe's people, as it tells us in chapter 1, told Paul about this. And so Paul reiterates, listen, your faith is not to rest in the wisdom of men. Don't allow yourself to feel like, you know, you're going to have to look to other places for help. But instead, it is to rest in the power of God. As we uh, conclude this morning, um, I want you to reflect on some things with me. Um, We've looked at the gospel of Jesus Christ and that he came and was crucified for our sins. He was the one who appeased the wrath of God. and when i think about that i think god's wrath is against those who are still blind to the gospel but it is no longer against me praise jesus for that jesus is the only acceptable sacrifice before god salvation is believing that jesus died for you a sinner And therefore, we live with an eternal reverence and thanksgiving for what Jesus did, and we are preaching, and we are guarding this gospel. And so I I would just ask you to consider the fact that, you know, the first thing in our concluding thoughts here is just, do you have a reverence before Jesus? Will you practice that reverence before Jesus, a thankfulness for the fact that he has saved you? and then to live it out. Second, we need to make sure that God receives all the glory. The Bible's really clear. God will not share the glory that he deserves for making our salvation secure. And to me, that's one of the big blessings I think about is that it is secure, I don't have to do anything else to try to make myself worthy before God. It is secure. And when I think about it that way, I think about the fact that then God deserves all the praise. Because the way that he did it works. Nothing else needs to be added to it. And I need to be able to praise God for that. And will you praise him? this week for that. And then third, let the power of God work through the gospel. This is one of those things where I think sometimes that there's a tendency sometimes to, like I said earlier, rely on our own strength. Look outside for other help. Uh, God's given you a ministry if you're a follower of Christ. You have one. You, you probably have several in many cases. Because as I shared with you, you, you probably have you know, your family. You have those people that you work with. You have that broader circle out there that is the strangers that are around you. And I think that sometimes when I kind of think about those things, I think, what can I do that would be sort of clever in my own way? And I would ask you to join me in saying, you know what? Let's not think about clever little things. But instead, let's let the power of God work. Just deliver the message. And whatever place you are in, wherever you're at, deliver that message. Simply, clearly. Christ crucified. That's the gospel message right there. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, it is uh, sometimes just overwhelming to think that Jesus Christ was the sacrifice for me. To think that Um, I was the one that was supposed to have to bear your wrath for my prideful sin and that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, that he would bear that and that as a result of that, that I would be made right before you, God, that I would be kept pure and holy by the redeeming work of Jesus Christ all the way to the final day so that I might have a place to be able to be with you. Lord, thank you. May you always be the one who receives the praise for opening our eyes, for showing us the truth. Lord, I know that sometimes it's hard for us to live this out a reverence for Jesus. to allow Jesus to be sacred in our lives. But would you help us this week to remember how sacred, how important and reverent we were before Jesus when we were saved. And that we would be reminded through scripture of the fact that Jesus is the King. and that every knee will bow before him. On heaven, in heaven and on earth, Father, I I pray that you would help us to continue to deliver that message to the people around us too. We thank you for your word. We give praise and glory to you and to Jesus for all that has been done. In Jesus' name, amen.